Today, I would like to talk to you about something that is very, and always been very dear to my heart, and that is the power and the protection of a vision. And, you know, the Bible says, obviously, Proverbs 29, 18, that where there's no vision, the people perish or people throw off restraint. You know, without a vision, a ship, uh, a course that is set before a ship, it meanders uh, whichever way the wind blows it, but with some intentionality, uh, we can navigate to the place and to the ports of entry that God has called us to be. And uh, I realized that somebody once said that uh, having a vision statement is simply something that came out of the corporate world. But I've always been uh, of the opinion as a pastor that we need some of that. That we need to realize that we're not only a church, but we're also a business. That there's, we need to have things done in a business-like way. It has to be done decency and, in decency and order because God is not the author of confusion. And so we come together today, you know, we have been driven primarily by uh, something that does not change, and that is our mission statement, which we'll be getting into in just a few moments. But in preparation for this message came from last week, I was cleaning out files and throwing stuff away. It seems like the more things from my files that I toss into the, uh, the bin that's going into the dumpster out back, that uh, the more stuff I have to get rid of. You know, you find stuff and you go through it, and you think, I'm going to get rid of this. No, I'm not quite ready to get rid of that. And, but among those things was going through the file of, of uh, vision casting and basically of uh, meetings, uh, strategy meetings that we had with our board and our staff over the last 21 years. And I remember the first one that we had a few months after I came here back in July 15th of 2001, where a few months later I realized that this church was on the move, that God had his hand on it, that we were not going to be staying in the same place, running in place as we used to do in gym, you remember that? In school, run in place, get your exercise. If you're in a classroom, you're running, but you're not going anywhere, kind of like a treadmill. Well, God hasn't called the church to run on a treadmill. He's called the church to run the race that he has set before us. Somebody say amen. amen. And so in so doing... Um, Back in those days, I have to go back to the file. The file's still in our files, uh, unless somebody tossed it or uh, did something with it. But it was a, a, a strategy meeting for the future, and it formed a committee. Some of you are still here that were on that committee in the beginning. And among the things that we studied, uh, the board was included in that committee, and uh, was to, uh, to take a look outside, outside of the box and see where God would have us to go because it was obvious at that time that the building that we had, even though it was a blessing, and I appreciate the old building we had, it was a blessing, and it was well kept. Uh, the stewardship over it was done well. Uh, even with the new fellowship hall that they built in the year 2000, I realized that this building and the property are, are not big enough to contain the size of the vision that God was putting into my heart began to see the possibility that we were going to have to relocate. I went back a while back and ran across that file by accident when I was going in the church files looking for something else and realized that it's still in there. And looking at that file and the people's names that were on that committee, good people who love this church, uh, that one of the possibilities was besides building or adding on to the building was relocation, which was radical back then. <clears throat> but anytime you have a vision, it's not going to be comfortable for some people. Some people were not comfortable with relocation, but we still looked at it as a possibility because everything was on the table. The point of the matter is, is from day one, there was vision, and here we are relocated to another spot. 
<clears throat> because over the course of time, God began to breathe buy-in into the vision of where God wanted us to be. You see, it's not where I want to be. It's not where you want to be. It's where God wants us to be. Amen. Did you hear that? <clears throat> we can all have opinions, but we really need the opinion of God. Uh, God-given vision or God-breathed vision, uh, by defined, is the ability to see the purposes, dreams, and plans that the Holy Spirit has for the local church to fulfill in this season of time. You see, seasons of time come and go, but the Lord is constant. And what God has called us to do 20 years ago isn't necessarily what God has called us to do today. Today we've already relocated. We don't need to relocate. We need to press forward and decide when the proper time is for us to expand these facilities into phase two. If we can do that, if we can come into unity to finish what God has called us to do. And uh, as we look at these uh, questions, I have three questions today that I'm going to rapidly go through because I don't have much time here to do this, which I realized I would not. By the way, children have been dismissed, I hope. Uh, I'm supposed to do that. It's on the top of my notes here, and I missed it. So, uh, but there's three questions. Number one, what kind of a church do we want to be? <clears throat> my first year here in January, or into the first year, we had the first of uh, every successing year, except for one where we couldn't get everybody together, is to have a, an annual strategy um, and learning time, uh, leadership learning, with the board uh, and the staff. The first meeting we had was an overnight deal where we met at the uh, uh, American over in Menominee, which was fairly new at that time, I understand, and had a meeting room, and then we went the next morning on Saturday morning to Perkins and used their back room for the finishing of that but I remember uh, giving an assignment to the board, and the board had this assignment as, what kind of a church do you think Calvary Temple should be? <clears throat> and giving that assignment several months before, at least three months before we met in January, had plenty of time to pray about it and think about it. And the reason that I gave them that assignment was this. Excuse me. The assignment was this. It was that someday, maybe uh, this year, maybe next year, but certainly sometime, Within the next several years, there's going to be someone who has a vision to plant a church in Marinette Menominee area, and that church is probably going to be fantastic. It's going to have incredible praise and worship. It's going to have good messages, and, and that church is going to attract a lot of people. Probably a lot of people are going to get saved, and, and this was way back in 2002 when I gave that assignment, or when we uh, collected that assignment in January of then. And I said, when that does happen, not if it happens, but when it happens... Um, I don't want to see happen to Calvary Temple what I've seen happen to so many other churches that I've been aware of is that they go into a tailspin and they go into an identity crisis uh, because that church is being blessed and what's wrong with us? And the tendency is for a church who doesn't understand and is comfortable in its own identity that God has called it to be and to accomplish what God has called that church to be and not comfortable in their own personality is the, what, they, what they do is... Uh, Thank you, Andy. I'm already covered. Uh, what they do is they start to imitate and mimic and ape what's being done in another church and try to be that other church when God hasn't called us to be another church. And I said, I don't want us, under my leadership, to go into that kind of an identity crisis. We want to celebrate what God is doing in the other church, but we also want to celebrate what God is doing in Calvary and what he's called us to be. And I've kept that commitment because I'm not jealous of other churches or the success of other churches or other pastors. I just want to be what God wants me to be, okay? 
I want to be what God has called us to be. And at the helm of this church, you know, that question that we ask is, what kind of a church do we want to be? Uh, we want to be, listen, uh, what happens there is sometimes, and, and the board brought back different uh, scenarios of what they saw, and I listened to that, and I said, but really, you know, that was the assignment, but now we have an assignment while we're together. What kind of a church does God want us to be? We have our ideas and our opinions, and that's what happens many times people in the congregation and people in leadership is they have different opinions about what kind of a church Calvary should be. And what happens is if there isn't a common theme and a common understanding is that people grab hold of the fabric of unity in a church and they begin to pull it in different directions and the threads become unfurled and they fall apart. And the fabric of unity and the integrity of that garment or that church becomes frayed and becomes spoiled and needs repair. And so when I talk about vision today, I'm talking about unity and peace and not what kind of a church you think you want or what kind of a church we think we should have compared to other churches, but what kind of a church does God want us to be? And if we have integrity as believers and as members of Calvary or attenders, part of the church, is we will want to set aside what we think we should have and set aside and find out what God wants us to have. Now, the second question is like this, <clears throat> and I've never asked this question before when I've done this teaching over the years, is what kind of a church does hell want us to have? What kind of a church do you think the devil and all the demons of hell would like for Calvary, but every other local church in the world? I think we know what that is, right? Do you know what it is? Somebody raise your hand if you think you know, because I think we know if you have any idea or any concept of biblical knowledge of spiritual warfare and the, how the devil works to kill, steal, and destroy, you'll know that that's exactly what he wants, to kill, steal, and destroy the fabric of unity in every local church so that if we're busy fighting with each other, we're not going to be fighting him. It's a diversionary tactic. And I think it's so obvious that we have so many tragic examples of this and too many local churches to, to put into words would be uh, what he wants is he wants us to be dysfunctional, disunified, and therefore, when we are dysfunctional and disunified, we are ineffective and we are unhealthy. And so, when we talk about the unhealthiness of the church, it is caused by dysfunction, and it is caused by, uh, and the, leads out into healthiness. Now, the healthiness of the church, I have over here Stephen Mills, I quote him, the healthiness of the church is more important than size because when an unhealthy or dysfunctional church grows, it is out of balance and offers a bad picture to the world of Christ and the kingdom of God. It's a bad reflection of who Christ is. Now, I can tell you from knowledge and from observation is that in the culture in which we live in today, it is a, a strong anti-church, anti-Christ culture, and it's not getting any better. I mean, you, you have to be blind not to see that. And so, you know, the integrity of the church is important, but I can tell you that no matter what kind of integrity or honor the church operates itself in, it's always going to be the subject of criticism. And so we need to be, realize that, that this is not uh, what took place uh, in the church in previous uh, decades and even uh, uh, centuries in the history of this country, is that now it is, we are on the outs. We are in a post uh, Christian culture, and we need to realize that. So criticism and, and attacks from outside are to be expected, and we need to be able to respond with 
grace and dignity and kindness when that does happen. Just be prepared. Don't be surprised. A dysfunctional church is a term used to describe a church that is not functioning, Stephen Mill says, functioning in a healthy part of the body of Christ. This results in many of those who attend are not in unity with Christ or in harmony with one another. Uh, These well-meaning members have good intentions of practicing biblical principles, but are continually conflicted with combinations of imbalance or erroneous doctrine, fads, irresponsibility, incompetent or dysfunctional leadership, controversial government or disciplinary problems. And I think uh, often is that there is plenty of that to go around. There's plenty of doctrinal issues. There's plenty of doctrinal fads that are going around in the body of Christ. One of the things in the early days from the time I came here that I committed to, uh, to the board and to this church uh, publicly and privately, is that we would be a church with solid and sound biblical doctrine that it would be taught and it would be preached and we would adhere to it no matter what the world does or what other churches do. There's a lot of silly stuff going on in in other churches and uh, sometimes silly stuff that tries to go on here. You know, when the moving of the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit uh, arises that it affects and it stimulates and aggravates, there's a conflict between that Holy Spirit and a demonic spirit that the enemy will rile up uh, that he, in some people. And I'm just telling you that that is a conflict. When the Spirit of the Holy Spirit rises, something happens supernaturally, and there's a conflict between heaven and hell. A spiritual warfare. I've seen it happen in a meeting. Most uh, uh, best uh, illustration I can have is in a youth convention in Fargo, North Dakota back in the uh, late 90s when I pastored there and took the kids to, to that uh, a couple thousand kids in that place at Fargo First Assembly. And uh, Roosevelt Hunter, who's gone on to heaven, by the way, an incredible man of God, man of color, incredible man of integrity, that the worship was going on and there was kids uh, running up and goth and running up on the platform, making themselves at home up there dancing and carrying on. And, and I just didn't feel right. I love worship. But I, I felt like, you know, you know what it sounds like, what it feels like to take your fingernails and run it across a blackboard. Not a whiteboard, a blackboard, you know, what we used to have in schools. And, and you know, it's eerie, and it makes you, uh, it's a terrible feeling. But I knew something wasn't right. The songs were right, the words were right, music was great, the musicians were awesome, but it just wasn't right. And Roosevelt Hunter got up and put a stop to it. And with great animation and, and righteous anger, he was like a money, like Jesus overturning the money tables. And he said, this is not right. Shut it down. This is flesh, and this is the enemy. Shut it down. And he shut it down. And there was a world-class worship leader there who'd written many songs, or some songs, I don't know how many, in Hosanna Integrity books back then. And, and he gave a sermonette about the presence of God and the real anointing. And then he looked to the musicians and the leader and he said, now you can begin. They began again and something happened to the atmosphere that day. I mean to tell you, it was night and day. It was stark. That the presence of the Holy Spirit began to roll in there like a thick cloud and the anointing rested over that place and the Spirit of God was so precious that it was like night and day, counterfeit and real. And you know what happened? In three different places in that huge auditorium. They could see there's something like 3,000 or if I'm not wrong, it's been so many years I've been gone. 
one in one part of the building, one over here, and one back here, is some kids rolled over backwards and began to frock at the mouth, and they were manifesting demonic possession, and he called for youth pastors who know about deliverance to go over and pray over these and set these kids free. They got set free that night. Never would have happened if the counterfeit spirit of worship was there. And I'm just telling you, there's the real and there's the fake. I used to be a worship leader. I know the difference. And we need to hold on to what is true. Somebody say amen. amen. Good doctrine, fads. We have to have the real deal or I don't want it at all. I don't want it at all. Now, when we came over to this place, before we moved in, I told God, if you aren't going with us, the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit that we had at the old building, if, if, if you're not going with us, God, I don't want to go. I'd rather have church in this little building than to go to a big, nice building and not feel and sense the same presence and power of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, he came along. And the power of God has done wonderful things here. Wasn't it incredible last Sunday to have 20 people? We originally had like 25 signed up to baptize, but some had to back out because of different issues. But 20 baptismals last week is incredible. You know, there's a lot of churches with the Assemblies of God who don't report any conversions each year and no baptismals, no baptisms in the Spirit. Calvary Church has been a very fruitful ministry, a fruitful church, and I am a church that I've been proud to pastor because of the fruit, not because I'm here, but because of the fruit that is here. But I'm telling you that there's a lot of nonsense going on in a lot of churches. There's a lot of uh, churches that are uh, struggling, and so they try to gin things up by getting the flesh involved to stir things up. I'm not up here to criticize what other churches do. I'm simply here to say that there's the real and there's the fake. Uh, I'm not necessarily opposed to smoke machines and laser lights flowing in a rock concert atmosphere, but I'm wondering, why do you have to do that? If you have the real anointing, why do you need something to make up something? Now, that's a controversial statement. Maybe I'll get called on the carpet for it, but I'm just saying, as long as I'm here, I want the real deal. If there's smoke up here, I want it to be the presence of God rising. Somebody said, amen? I, I want it to be God. I'm not trying to thrill you with uh, uh, gimmicks or anything else, but I want the real deal. And uh, third point on this part, or second major bullet point anyway, is the results of strife, division, turmoil, ineffective ministry, wounded and confused people, and a negative reputation in the community is the results of a dysfunctional church. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 through 12 says this, the Apostle Paul, in writing his first letter to the Corinthians, it's really, and a lot of people don't understand this, it's a letter of rebuke and uh, calling them on the carpet for being dysfunctional and foolish in a lot of the things that I've already talked about. They were a church that was very charismatic. They were the charismatic, charismatic, charismaticest church that there was. Uh, they were proud of the fact that they were highly charismatic, that they were very much into the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestational gifts of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul taught to them and then wrote to them about in the 12th chapter of this same book. But what he said to them in verse 10 after he gave his standard greeting was he said, I appeal to you, notice he's appealing to them, to their conscience, dear brothers and sisters, boys and girls, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul has a spiritual authority that was delegated to him by God. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12 talk about the fivefold ministry gifts 
of offices that Jesus has given to the church as a gift. An apostle was one of them. Prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers are offices of ministry that those who are in that office of ministry were called by God, not self-appointed to that office. I have spiritual authority by virtue that I have been called to that office and been given as a gift to the church, not just Calvary, but to the church in general, wherever God has me at any season of time. He goes on to say uh, that what he's appealing to them by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ is to do what? Live in harmony with each other. That there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought, thought and purpose. Verse 11, for some members of Chloe's household have told me, there's always somebody who's a tattletale, and this, you know, told Paul, uh, that hello, Chloe's household has told me that your quarrels, of your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters, my dear brothers and sisters, Paul loved them. And he goes on in verse 12, some of you are saying that I'm a follower of Paul, others are saying that I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. And what Paul goes on to say, if you go back and read that chapter, is Paul is saying that, uh, you know, you, you have different reasons why you're of the party of this person, party of that person, but he said you should be the party of Christ. There's no popularity contest. I hate politics in the church and popularity contests. I despise things like that. And I think God does too. Because Christ should be the center of every local church. He ought to be the center of our thoughts. And the center of our dreams of possibilities should be run by him. So what kind of a church, second question or third question, what kind of a church does God want us to be? And I can tell you that God designed intentionally his church to be a missional driven church. Somebody say amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm going to listen to myself preach and I'm going to say amen to everything I say up here this morning because it is in my soul today. And I'm saying here, what kind of a church does God want us to be? God has designed his church to be a missional-driven church. Matthew chapter 28, 19, and 20 are very familiar verses to most of us here, if not all, those watching online, where Jesus said before he ascended up into the heavens from Mount Olive, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey, say obey, obey. all, say all, the commandments that I have given to you and be sure of this that I am with you always unto the end of the age. Now, when, when Jesus says to obey all uh, of the commands that I have given to you, the apostles who heard the teachings of Christ eventually evolved by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit into the New Testament, into the Word of God. We have the teachings of Christ for us today that have been passed on to us by the apostles and by other writers of Scripture that the Holy Spirit chose to pen those things down. I remember on our uh, morning men's meetings, Saturday morning men's meetings, that uh, Dr. Edwin Los Cole, who I said is a, he's in heaven, but he still speaks from the grave. Uh, He speaks in a very prophetic way all the way back to the 80s and 90s in his Christian men's uh, movement. And one of the things he said a few weeks ago in his teaching that the men were listening to on Saturday morning, he said that the scripture that you obey is the scripture that you believe. He said, well, I believe all scripture. Are you obeying all scripture? Or do you selectively pick which one you want to obey? Or this time I'll obey it, but I don't want to obey it this time because it's uncomfortable. And I think we need to realize if we're going to get back to basics and we're going to fulfill the vision that God has for this church, there's some things that have to change. One of the things we have to change, we have to start obeying all Scripture and not what's convenient at the time. 
teach them, these new disciples, some of us are old disciples, we should already know this, to obey all the commands that I have given to you. You know, how do you know what the commands are? Read the scriptures. Get into an organized, deliberate scripture reading plan that will take you through the scriptures at least once a year. Take notes, underline in your Bible, make little notes in the side margins of what God is speaking to you because I guarantee you this, that if you are seeking God through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to see things you've never noticed before, even though you may have read that passage a hundred times before. That's why it's called the living word. Is because you never, it never runs out of juice. It never runs out. And uh, there may be things that's like, I've read scriptures through and through for all these years that I've been a Christian. And every single time I go through the scriptures, it's like, I don't remember reading that. You understand what I'm saying? The living word. It is living and active, like the writer of Hebrews says, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And listen to this. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Sometimes we don't know what our real intentions are of why we do what we do. God does. He knows. He sees what we can't see, even in ourselves. Jeremiah said, the heart is desperately wicked. Above all else, who can know it or understand it or discern it except God? Somebody say amen. And so here, you know, we're looking at what kind of a church does God want us to be? <clears throat> our mission statement up overhead here, Calvary Church mission statement. Uh, it's reaching, investing, equipping, and releasing. It's a four-legged uh, stool, I like to call it. And we're supposed to reach pre-Christians with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, through various methods of evangelism. You know, there's different methods of evangelism that will lead people to a saving knowledge of Christ. I believe the most effective is friendship evangelism. When you get to know people, acquaintances become friends, and in the course of time, they will give you, because of that relationship, permission to speak into their lives. If you go bang them over the head with the Bible, you just cut them off. They don't want anything to do with you. But if you become a friend, and listen to this, and you're still going to be their friend even if they choose not to follow Christ... That's real friendship. And where are they going to go when they're in trouble? They're going to go to you. Because you are a living epistle to be read of all men. And women and boys and girls. That happened to me at, uh, when I was in, uh, in sales. And, and I remember many times this happened in the warehouse and the other salesmen and a salesman that would make fun of me and the other guys that were Christians, we'd go out and have a Bible reading in the morning and pray together before we'd leave to go to our sales territories. And, and they would come along because they wanted to be a part of the group, but they would mock and make fun of us behind our back. And this one young man, uh, Terry was his name, that he uh, was one of those who mocked. And I saw him at Hardy's one morning. I was grabbing a sandwich on the way out of town to go to my sales territory. And he said, Tim, can I talk to you for minutes? And I, um, yeah, I got a few minutes, but I got to get going. <clears throat> and so we went and sat down for a minute. He said, I got to talk to you. And first of all, I want to, he's a young guy, probably in his early 20s, just a kid, and he said, uh, uh, I want to tell you something. He says, I know that you know that I make fun of you, and, and I'm just having fun. It's not anything personal. And I said, oh, sure, Terry, that's fine. Uh, and he said, uh, but I got, a, I, I got something I need your help with. And he was almost stumbling over the words because he was so embarrassed because of his attitude before. He said, I, I just, I have a friend who's dying, and I don't know what to do. He's dying of AIDS. And this was back in, was back in the 80s. Dying of AIDS. And he's at Shawnee Mission Medical Center. 
and he's in ICU, and he's a really good friend. And he said, I'm just worried that he's going to go to hell when he dies. And he said, I know I make fun of you, but he says, you know, I have, I have, a, I have a grandfather who's a pastor. See, I never knew that. But he began to tell me his life story. And he came to me when he was in trouble, who he was making fun of before, because where else is he going to go? You remember when the 70 disciples walked away from Jesus when he raised the bar of discipleship and said, if you want to follow me, you got to do this? <clears throat> they turned around and walked away, and he looked at the 12 and said, where are you all going to go away to, you 12? Do you remember what Peter said? Peter spoke up. He's always one who speaks up, you know. And he just said, Lord, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. Well, you know who the representatives of Christ are on the earth? We are. Where are they going to go? When trouble comes, when their world falls apart, when death knocks on their door, when their loved one dies or is going to die or their friend is very, very sick with a disease that nobody knew much about back then. Okay, I was there for him. We prayed together and I checked in on him multiple times. I called a pastor out in Johnson County, Kansas and asked if they would go by and see this young man and tell him about the Lord. But I'm telling you that we have a mission reaching people for Christ and then not just reaching them and dropping them. You see, there's a lot of people have the philosophy. It's almost like the Old West <clears throat> where they have a six-shooter and they get into gunfights and they put a notch every time they kill somebody. And some people who are witnessing for Christ put a notch on their gun like it's an accomplishment because all they do is lead them in a prayer of salvation and then they drop them like a rock. They don't disciple them and show them how to live for Jesus. That's where the church comes in. Bring them to the house of God. Bring them to Bible studies. Bring them to small groups. Bring them to Sunday school. Bring them to men's meetings. Bring them to women's meetings. Bring their children to our programs. Disciple them. Invest in them who respond to the gospel. And, and, and with the hope of assimilating them into the body of Christ and here at Calvary Church in this particular case so that they can begin to reproduce themselves. And how are they going to do that? By you equipping them. The church equips them through discipleship training so that they can be effective in doing good works. And then what's the fourth one? Release them. Where? Hopefully most of them will stay here and help build this church and volunteers, but... Hopefully, some of them will be called to be evangelists, to be pastors, to be missionaries, uh, to go out someplace else to serve if they get transferred to another city and they're still lay people. That other church, I've said from the beginning when I was here, Roger and I used to talk about it, my former youth pastor, and we would say that our hope and my dream is is that when people have to leave Calvary Church for the reason of transfer, uh, that they will feel like they got their right arm cut off That'll hurt them. And I said, I'm not sadistic, but I want them to be so assimilated into this family that it hurts to leave. And that has happened. I've had so many calls from people who had, had to leave. And they still call. Some who left years and years ago and say, Pastor, I've never, this is what I hear, I have never found a church like Calvary. I really miss Calvary. But I'm still serving God. And I thank God for that. I want that pastor someday to call me and say, thank you for 
discipling this person. They are an incredible help to me in the ministry because releasing them, spirit-empowered believers, to do the works of ministry wherever God calls them is an incredible thing and it is a biblical thing. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now, the vision uh, is born out of the mission statement. And uh, by the way, I did a teaching like this in 2020, in January 6th of 2020, just so you know. I don't know how many of you listened or paid attention, but that was done then. Uh, had a mission or a vision statement on the overhead that was provided of where God is leading us. But a vision statement is born out of the mission statement. Uh, Church Styles by Stephen Mills. Uh, Roger found this article way back when he was here, Roger Whittem, back in the early days that I was here, and shared it with me. And we got together and we planned that this is exactly really a word from God. And uh, what it is here is a vision is born out of mission, and there's five different church styles that are articulated by Stephen Mills, uh, who was a CE counselor back at that time. I don't know if you say, oh, that turned out good. I wasn't sure how it was going to turn out up there. Uh, but there's uh, different paradigms, five different paradigms. The one is an experiencing God church. And so you see to the right of that, uh, the primary focus of experiencing God church is worship. It's incredible worship, incredible, talented musicians and anointed. And, and the pastor's role is one of being a worship leader. Now, I used to be a worship leader. I love worship. In fact, when I was a worship leader, I was way out of balance because I love worship so much. In fact, I worshiped worship. And everybody would tell me, oh, and there are people coming from other churches just to visit on Sunday nights because they loved our worship, the anointing that was there. And it was an incredible thing. I got out of balance because I started worship services. Pastor Crow would hate it where worship service go way so long so there wasn't much time to preach on a Sunday morning. And a worship leader who is an experiencing God person would say, well, Pastor Crow, just preach until you're done. And so then we have people in the nursery who are organizing in the nursery and serving there with small children and toddlers, and the children start getting cranky and crying about noon because they're hungry and they miss their mom and dad. And how fair is that to the volunteers who are serving while we're in here having a good time? I still have people occasionally telling me that we ought to just go longer. It's like, well, then you, t- you go back and man the nursery. And your wife can go into King's Kids and... You know, we got to be respectful of their people. There has to be some organization to it all. Um, worship leaders, sometimes I'd preach sermonettes between songs and drag it out even longer, and I was anointed, so that was okay. I was taking my liberties, and it wasn't okay. I had to repent of that and go back and apologize to some of the leaders back then. But who's the, what's the people's role? What's your role if we're experiencing a... You're, you're a worship audience. You're here like you're at a concert every week. Now, I, we have incredible worship here. Would you agree with that? I'm thankful to Amy for her leadership there. She's an incredible leader and developer of, of other uh, musicians and worship leaders. You know, there's a difference between, I'm going to tell you, a difference between singing songs, having a song service, and having a worship service. We can sing songs, and all the songs are true, but if we're not entering in with our heart and our soul into worship of, and giving God adoration for who He is and all that He's done then all we're doing is singing a song. That's true, what we're singing, but it's not worship. <clears throat> so are we experiencing God church? I want to be an experiencing God church. But wait, there's also another paradigm called Bible teaching. And I, I love good Bible teaching. Now, depending on who you talk to, some will say, Pastor, you're a really good Bible teacher. Others say, oh, he's not that great. Quite frankly, I don't seek after your opinion. 
I never have. That doesn't float my boat. Somebody asked me recently, what's your love language? And is it words of affirmation? I said, no, it doesn't float my boat at all. I mean, it's nice. I mean, I don't turn down a compliment, but it doesn't float my boat or doesn't sink my ship either. And so, you know, Bible teaching is incredible. I love good expository teaching. Now, when it's anointed, if it's just dry doctrine, that bores me to death. But, uh, but what kind of a pastor's role? He's the educator. He's an educator. He's an instructor. And, and what are the people's role? They're students. They come in with their notebooks. They buy tapes. We say tapes. You know, I go back to cassette tapes. Uh, but, but they buy uh, charismatic renewal days. Everybody had a cassette player and a whole bunch of tapes they were sharing and notebooks and uh, took a lot of notes. They were learners. They were students. Uh, third paradigm is it's a family church. Now, I love family churches, don't you? You know, the interesting thing, somebody says, well, a family church, by definition, is a church that is run by a few families. And so many people say that those churches are very unhealthy, but I, I think sometimes that is true. In fact, I know it's true, but sometimes it's not a bad thing. It's a healthy church. They're a small church, and those people in that small group, they hold that church together, and they are faithful. They're the givers. They're the servers. They're the volunteers. They're the ones that make it happen. And there's nothing wrong with a healthy small church. But a family church doesn't have to be a little church. It can be a big church. Well, what's the primary focus? It's fellowship. They have a lot of fellowship activities and opportunities. And the pastor's role, he's a chaplain and he's a shepherd. And the people's role is to be a family member. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we are a family church. Somebody say amen. I agree with that. You know, we're a family church. There's a community, sense of community, which was intentional if you go back to our mission statement that was an intentional thing that we did, was to create an atmosphere with the Holy Spirit's help of family, of community. That's why we have, a, it doesn't look so big now because we've grown quite a bit, but our foyer was designed to be big. It was designed to have sofas and chairs. Intentional. That was my intention. What do you want, Pastor? I want a fellowship area and multiple different sites out there where people can get together and they can drink coffee and they can fellowship and they can talk and build community with one another. I think that worked. That was an intentional design, by the way. So, family church, that's great. Uh, you know what families do sometimes? I had a f five sisters and two brothers. I was the oldest boy, two older sisters, and the rest of them were younger. We used to fight a lot. How many here had more than two kids? You had sibling rivalry in your house. I don't even have to know who your kids are. I just know. We had five daughters, and they were raised in the fear and the admonition of the Lord with intentionality. All five are passionately serving Christ. Four married to pastors, one a teacher in the Christian school that does mission strips and things like that. Maybe a missionary someday. I don't know. But when they were growing up, they fussed. We didn't let them be unkind to each other and call names and lie to each other. And, you know, we made them get along. There was a time our two older ones got a, into a scuffle and my wife just said they're fighting all the time. And she, I remember a time she said, you two, they're little girls, you sit on this couch. And they went over and sat on the couch and our part, she said, no, you sit together. They had them moving closer. And then she had them hold hands and look at each other until they could tell each other they loved each other. Oh, they were mad. Oh, my goodness, they were furious. And you know what happened after a little while? They were squeezing each other, squeezing the hand, 
And eventually they looked at each other and hit eye contact and they burst out laughing and they were happy then. I think some people need to hold hands. So I'm going to wrap this up. I know I'm out of time. I hope the nursery workers are happy. But there was a lot in the first part of the service, okay? Outreach church. Do outreach all the time. Evangelism is the primary focus, and the pastor is an evangelist. There are some pastors who were an evangelist. I understand the pastor who built the old building, led in the building the old building, that the church, Calvary Temple, wasn't Calvary Temple then, but grew significantly under his leadership because he was an evangelist. And so then they had to build the building because there were so many. But uh, John Goffin, who told me this, he said he wasn't a pastor, but he was an evangelist. And the church needed a, a pastor after that to disciple the people that got saved. And so what are the people's role? You invite people. You witness. You invite people. Nothing wrong with that. Somebody say amen. And the last one, the fifth one, is a moral cause church. There's a lot of those around today. Uh, the primary focus is ministry. Uh, the pastor's role, he's a reformer. He's an activist. And the people's role, they are activists. And they go out and pick it. Uh, they pick it in front of abortion clinics. They pick it in front of, uh, of uh, uh, pornography places, which I've done. Uh, which I've gone to city councils in Liberty, Missouri, and I've gone to meetings and all kinds of things to organize the Coalition Against Pornography in Liberty, Missouri, my hometown. I was involved in all that stuff. <clears throat> but I was an activist because something needed to be done. Somebody's got to do something about the despicable, despicable moral conditions of our community. Somebody say amen. But if you have any one of these, you are an unhealthy church because a healthy church functions as a body of Christ and most of those who attend are in unity with Christ as we pull together uh, for the common cause of doing and being with the intention of being all five of these things. All five is the answer, is the correct answer. Doing all five of them. That we're in harmony with each other, doing all of those things. I want to be a church that is experiencing God, and we have that. I want to be a church that has good Bible teaching, and I believe we have that. I, I want us to be a family church where there's community and love for each other, and we have that. I want to be an outreach church where we do outreach, and that's important that we do that, and we do that too. And I want to be a moral cause church, but I'm not a political person, even though I've been falsely accused of that. That I simply want voters to realize that you need to vote on biblical values and not on political parties. I want you to do the right thing. I want you to be educated and find out where a candidate stands. And I want you to vote based on who closest represents your biblical values. Because it matters. Our children and our grandchildren are growing up in an America that I don't recognize. Somebody says, well, it wasn't perfect then. It was a lot more perfect than it is now. And so God help us to find balance as individuals, but also as a church in all of these things. You know, what our mission statement might really be saying is go into the world and reach people for Christ, invite fellow believers to participate in the discipleship programs, Bible studies, small groups, etc., creating an opportunity for the church to invest time, teaching, and fellowship to assimilate new people into the body of Christ uh, so that Calvary Church is able to equip believers and release them into works of service uh, in the body of Christ and in the world. You know, we have Dave Ewer coming uh, in July to speak. Uh, he's an evangelist. 
You know, he was a part of our church. We have Isaac Till, who I respect and honor, and invited him to come here on his own merit because I respect him. And I, I'm looking forward to hearing him, and I'm looking forward to hearing Dave because they were sent out from us, so to speak. So what is our vision statement? Pastor, what's your vision statement? The board asked me that when I first came here. What's your vision for Calvary? And I said, I don't have one. What do you mean you don't have one? You're coming here as a pastor. I said, I won't know what the vision statement is until I get a lay of the land. Until I understand the history of the church and have a chance to feel the atmosphere and listen to the Holy Spirit about where he wants to lead us. And my vision statement is to cultivate, and always has been this, of cultivating an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit will impart dreams and visions to committed believers as to how to fulfill the Great Commission. That's the science. Whether you accept it or not, that's it. How is this accomplished? Prayer and intercession. Spirit-led anointed praise and worship. Pulpit, pulpit ministry. Participation in public and private prayer. Special services and conferences. Small group. Ministry programs for all ages and strategies for compassionate ministries to the church family and to outsiders. That is intentionally done. In other words, meeting the needs of the poor without marginalizing the poor or ostracizing them. And that's my heart. That's the vision. Would you bow your heads in prayer today? Father, we thank you for your blessing on this service. We thank and praise you, Lord God, for the teaching of the Word of God, and Lord, for the passion and the vision that you have for Calvary Church and for its future. Lord God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit and by the power of God. I pray that, Lord God, you would send, as we have prayed so many times, Lord, Lord, warring angels to stand at the four corners of this property and oversee and protect this church from demonic attack and spiritual warfare. God, we pray that you would uh, give by revelation of the Holy Spirit unhatch and reveal and expose the strategies and the plans and the traps that the enemies has laid out before us. That, Lord God, those traps can be sprung before we step in them, and that, God, you would protect us and our unity and lead us into the future, uh, Lord, of your purposes and your plans for this church. Whatever that may be, God, we submit to it and we ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen.